Welcome once again to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the new issues surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I am Stephen Conway. With me, as always, is Jeremy Feinstone. We are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network, and we have a very newsworthy show today. Uh, lots to talk about, of course. Uh, we just had the big Osaka show. The new beginning in Osaka has come and gone, and it was a lot of exciting news coming out of that. We have announcements for upcoming events. And uh, Jeremy, I mentioned at the end of last week's show that this is a period where New Japan has very neatly stacked the schedule. There's something very interesting each and every weekend. We had the Osaka show. We have a United States show coming up. Each one has something a little different to offer. But that Osaka show, I thought the last four matches in particular very strong stuff and a really enjoyable night of wrestling. What, what were your thoughts coming out of that one in general before we go over big time? Honestly, if this is the cruising altitude of New Japan's pace this year, we are in great shape because this has just been, just been a lot of fun. You know, just we're watching like legitimate matches getting built over three or four weeks ahead of time. Uh, there seems to be long-term plans on top of those short-term plans. And everything just seems to be stacking really, really well right now. There are three things in particular that I really love about this week. And it's Battle in the Valley, which I'll be attending live. The New Lucky Japan man. Cup bracket announcements, yes, which we'll get to that. I, I've told you how excited I am about that. And we have a new natural segue for elements of our show. Every time <laughs> Strong Style comes out, and we talk about their match, we can literally say, speaking of strong style. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, am so excited. <laughs> they don't come much cleaner than that. Indeed, you're right. Oh. There's a lot There's a lot to get into. So I, we will go over that. Uh, let's go over the show here uh, from Osaka. And, it's, and we're going to get to the New Japan Cup right after that because what we saw in Osaka leads right into that. So we're going to get into all that pretty uh, pretty early here. Or did you want to do the bracket first? I will leave it up to no. you. You have control of the con. No, you uh, you do the new beginning in Osaka. Let's do it. Okay, well, we'll do that. And uh, it was uh, at the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium, which has been very busy lately. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That, that building has been a key thing for uh, pro wrestling lately. It's been a key building. Well, it always has been, but I mean, in particular, so far in, in February of 2023. So uh, we're going to go over the, the undercard was was brief and to the point. We'll get to those. Yeah. Uh, the United Empire, Great Okan, and Aaron Hanare opened up the show uh, facing Toru Yano and Oscar Loibe. Uh, nothing particularly crazy in this one, uh, Jeremy, but uh, worth mentioning, Osaka always had the reputation of being one of the more boisterous crowds for New Japan Pro Wrestling. This was the first time in three years where cheering was allowed at Osaka, and they were ready to go. I mean, it, it's not as free and loud as it was pre-pandemic, but it needs. I think it feels like it needs to gain a little momentum. 4,055 people showed up for this one. It was sold out for what they had. Now, here's a qualifier. That's not capacity of the building. But when they first started selling tickets, they were going to have cheering sections, which had to be socially distanced. Well, then they changed the edict and said, well, okay, you can cheer. Well, they already sold tickets for those cheering sections. So, so you had a gray right area right now between yeah. the, the time that you could buy the tickets and the new edict. Tickets being sold with the new edict. Yeah. printed and ready to go. Yeah, so there were some sections that were sold as socially distant sections, and they didn't just okay. fill them in, because if you think about it, and I, I, I was wondering, well, why didn't they just sell those seats? But if you were going with four of your friends, it's you're in seats one, three, five, and seven. 
well, you don't want people, other people sitting in two, four, six, and it just gets, and you know, it's hard to move people around. And I think they just decided, you know, the hell with it. We'll, we'll just sell the rest of the building out there. Anyway, they were loud. They were into, they were into almost everything. And there were a couple of things that they were into in particular. It wasn't in this match. I mean, this is basic Aaron Hanare beating Oscar Loibe uh, with his uh, big slam there, that side slam he does. It wasn't uh, the highlight match that Loibe had last week with. Great no, it wasn't. It was not, not he, he's doing what he's supposed to do there. It's just a young lion match. So after that, we had our first little twist, uh, which was the uh, Los Ingobernables. That's uh, Naito, Sonata, Takahashi, and Bushi facing uh, Tomowaki Honma, Shota Umino, Tiger Mask and Ryusuke Taguchi. And uh, this had some uh, fun things in it. First of all, Tomoaki Honma has found the counter, Jeremy, to the Paradise Lock. This is a huge deal. And apparently, the secret <laughs> weapon is baby oil. Lots and lots of baby oil. The entire story of this match, and everyone was having a good time with this, was that he was so oiled up that none of the members of LIJ could get hold of him, and he slipped out of the Paradise Lock. Everybody's wiping their hands on their shirt, just going, what the hell is this stuff? <laughs> um, and then, a different so, kind of sloppy shop. <laughs> yeah, and look, everybody kind of wrestled this match in second gear. They knew it's not their night to shine. There were bigger things to come later on in the show right there, but you know, they it's did something kind of... eight-minute match with eight people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, there's not much to it. So uh, the more important stuff happened after the match. Now, at the end, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, the junior heavyweight champion, defeated uh, Taguchi there and got the win over that one. And as the LIJ were preparing to do their little fist bump thing in the middle of the ring, lights go out. Ooh. And what comes up is the meditational, as you say, theme to uh, Leo Rush. It's a, aspirational it, hip hop. <laughs> aspirational. I, I think of it, I think I always picture it as when they advertise those uh, meditation or sleep apps. You know, there's just this very mm. nice, calming, it's a very calming, soothing uh, piano. But uh, Leo Rush comes up and he, uh, does a, a very nice promo. This was good uh, stuff. And and Leo can talk. And he has uh, challenged Hiromu Takahashi. And we will be seeing that in that title match at the finals of the New Japan Cup. That's when that I feel match like you is and I have been play. talking about this happening for, uh, I don't know, like two months now. <laughs> yeah. But it's finally going to happen. And there's just no question that that's going to be a fantastic match. Yeah. Those two athletes yeah. in there. So, uh, all, you know, big thumbs up in this. I'm ready for that. It's it's sort of a new matchup. I think they faced each other before, but not at this uh, type of stage. And, uh, boy, to, I, I'm having a hard time figuring this one not being fantastic. Next level Leo Rush versus Hiromu Takahashi is probably – only second to the idea of a Darby Allen Hiromu Takahashi match for me. Mm. Um, there's just of all the outsiders, he is in a top five category of people I would like to see against Hiromu and it's happening. And that's a great spotlight show to have it happen on. You know, the final of the Japan Cup that might be second to the top on the card, to be honest. You know, one of my big time dream matches will probably never happen is Takahashi and uh, Ricochet. We'd just love to see that one one time. But that would be pretty beautiful. But uh, Leo Rush, man, uh, you know, his his speed, we're talking about Hiromu, who, uh, as far as I know, still holds the record for the fastest sprint time in Nogue Dojo history. Nogue Dojo being the New Japan Dojo. Nogue is the uh, little neighborhood where the dojo is. is. And uh, as far as I know, he still holds that record for the fastest sprint. He's a very fast man. Leo Rush, 
just looks like he's on fast forward constantly. The, 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 yeah. man, the speed of this man's incredible. So nice little matchup there. Can't wait. Frame rate match. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. And up next was Taiji Ishimori uh, against Master Wato. This one went 11 minutes and 18 seconds. And it's a match where, uh, you know, Ishimori is uh, steamed off at Wato. I guess for the the results of the four-way match at Wrestle Kingdom in which he lost the IWGP title to Hiromu. So these two have been going at it since. Now, Ishimori, this is a good match. Ishimori is so smooth from move to move. It just, sometimes it doesn't look like, I, sometimes I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves because he doesn't always look like trying. It's so effortless, I guess. Not that he's not trying. He makes it look effortless. He's just so smooth. And 2022 was not ishimori's year it's ironic because he was holding the title for most of it but every plan they had for him kept falling through and so you know he held the title but he really was in the background almost all year so i'm hoping to see more of ishimori he got the win here uh ishimori worked on wado's shoulder uh in the end he hit a big clothesline that flipped wado inside out then he got the bloody cross wado was not carried in this one he hung in with ishimori the whole time it was a really good match, and it was a win for Ishimori. I'm fine with that because I would like to see Ishimori, even though he was the champion last year, get more of, of a run this year because he just was in the background. Everything they tried just didn't end up happening for various health reasons. So I'm hoping 2023 more Taiji Ishimori because matches like this, a lot of fun to watch when he's uh, kicking it into gear. I... I didn't think that this was Wado's best match. No. But it's also the momentum for him has cooled a little bit, right? Like, he's no longer mm. kind of the spotlight guy. So what I really hope to see from him is that he continues that high, like, rate of work when he's not the guy that's getting the spotlight, um, which is a hard thing to do, but it's how you continue to earn respect and how he got here in the first place. And as for Ishimori, man, I blinked on it earlier, but it really is. He's the very definition of underrated. Like, you look mm. past him as, like, a junior heavy in New Japan. He's not really talked about as a junior heavy worldwide that is at the top of his class. He just He's there. He's showing up for work. But uh, he's underrated. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Yeah, yeah, he's a heck of a worker and and did a really good job with uh, with Wato in this one. So we move on from there to a big grudge match. This is Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenta, another special singles match here. They didn't kill each other like they did at Wrestle Kingdom, and thank goodness, because that match took a lot out of both guys. In fact, Kenta was out for a long time after that one. So it still had a feel of a fight more than a wrestling match, but it was not a crazy brawl like the Wrestle Kingdom match. Uh, again, uh the story of the match was Kenta wrestling with Tanahashi and, and fighting with Tanahashi, but looking for a way to take that shortcut, that bullet club shortcut. He got it when he kept trying to push poor Kenta Sato, the referee into uh, Tanahashi. And when that didn't work a couple of times, he just landed on him coming off of a pin attempt. And you know, he was going to bump him come hell or high water. Uh, Ishimori used the chair that got big booze. That was one of the bigger heel uh, responses of the night. People didn't like that. He hit the double stomp off the top for two. Uh, a couple of GTS attempts. One was turned into a twist and shout. People forget the go to sleep was uh, was borrowed from from uh, Kenta by uh, by uh, CM Punk. There. To be fair, he made sure everybody knew it all yeah. time. 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. He, that's why I say borrowed. He didn't steal it. He did not. He, he never went around saying he invented the move. But I remember the GTS like wowing everybody when it was Kenta doing it. I guess mm-hmm. uh, some vicious slaps from Kenta. Boy, he he just blistered his own hands on uh, Tanahashi's face. Poor Tanahashi, by the way, missing three teeth in the front of his mouth. Uh, apparently, the victim of a, a wayward protein bar in the back protein bar (laughs) yeah i I didn't realize that he had actually had those teeth knocked out by uh okada in a match years ago so the reason he has the falsies there in front is his teeth were he has the uh he has the kawada smile but uh yeah anyway that was he didn't have his teeth in this one uh gts into a sling blade uh for two that was cool and that was the end for kenta he got he took the aces high and then the high fly flow we mentioned the time but it was great. We mentioned that Tanahashi has good knee days and bad knee days. There's some matches, especially like some of these six man preview tags he does where it looks like he can barely run. Uh, this was not one of those. He had a good knee day. He was ready for this one. And uh, he, they also though notice didn't do a whole lot to tax them heavily. They were very intelligently worked match between two veterans and uh, aces high, high fly flow was probably the most impact his knees took most of the night. Uh, 1357, really good win for Tanahashi, and it established, despite the losses of Wado and Taguchi earlier, that the back end of this card, Jeremy, was Hantai all day. I mean, you don't get too many Hantai days. You know, they tend to play the victim in New Japan as much as anything else, but today was a Hantai day, and this was the first, and it set up what we saw after the main event. Yeah, you know, I I really did enjoy this match. And I thought it was really interesting afterwards that uh, Tanahashi tried to offer the uh, the pack, the mm. the hot pack, I believe, to um, Kenta. Yeah, the ice. Kenta just kind of looked at him and then just kind of looked at him. And then he's like, nah, bro, and I'm out. <laughs> and so it, it does kind of set up like with uh, the reverberations of people coming and going later on in the card, like, where does Bullet Club stand? Like, who who's next man up? Like, yeah. I kind of think people are looking past Kenta as like the guy to to be in that uh, to be the leader, but I just don't know. Uh, Post match comments. Want, but... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. In post-match comments, Tanahashi even commented that if this were a manga, we'd be teaming up by now. You know, the whole thing where you <laughs> you you fight until you have respect for your enemies and then you team up. That's a pro wrestling thing, too. He just he just mentioned if this were a, if this were a manga, we'd be teaming by now. And he just kind of shook his head and says, I don't get why he uh, still feels this way. So uh, perhaps down the road, who knows? So like I said, there's there's a lot of transition coming with both of them. There, there needs to be a massive heel shift because if Jay White is well and truly gone, which it sure seems like it might be the case, uh, that's a huge void. And they need, they need to find a guy to fill it. And I'm not sure there's a heel on the heel side already established that can, that can fill that void. There are a couple of contenders, but nobody obvious, is there? I mean, it's when Jay took over Bullet Club, you knew exactly what was going on before it happened because they pretty much telegraphed it. It was, uh, and very in a, in a very well done way, in an intelligent way, in a logical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, I, I mentioned on the show last week that they tend to overthrow their leaders in Bullet Club rather than have any kind of peaceful transitions of power. So. Uh, it is curious, but there isn't one person just standing there going, oh, well, they're the next one. They're the next one. So, 
Yeah, ELP, um, Kenta, there's a couple of contenders, but mm-hmm. none yeah, of them. Evil is still no, there, the leader of House of Torture. You know, he's there. None of them are so, like, established bad guys that I just, I believe that everyone else would follow their lead. Right, yeah, there doesn't seem to be somebody that's just like, this is the future. Right. We ended up with a never open weight six man tag team title match next. This was the speaking team... of strong style. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Cannot wait to get that one in. Absolutely. Uh, boy, it feels good too, doesn't it? Uh, House of torture. House of torture. House of torture. So, uh, have been saying for weeks that we're not defending these titles. We turned down your challenge. Uh, you can go uh, go crap in your hat. We don't care. We don't want to hear it. Uh, we have, uh, in fact. In fact, uh, retired the never open weight six man tag team titles. We're not even carrying the belts around. They are officially on our mantles for good, that type of stuff. Well, before this match, they announced that if they do not defend the titles in this match, they will be stripped of the titles in this match. All right. Still no answer. So they uh, they announced the team, which is Minoru Suzuki, El Desperado, and Ren Narita. Narita comes out. He's first out. Well, no, excuse me. Suzuki and Desperado are the first ones out. They're old buddies from Suzuki Gun. Then Narita comes out, and he's immediately assaulted by the House of Torture and beaten down in the in the uh, in the aisle. In fact, he's he hasn't even made it to the aisle, has he? He's still on the yep. set. And Suzuki and Desperado try to join in, but they get laid out, and it's just a beatdown. And Narita is out cold allegedly there on that set. So uh, as he's turned into a corpse they beat the living crap out of desperado and suzuki back in the ring then evil grabs the microphone and then once everybody's laying dead in front of him he says all right we accept (laughs) so yeah that's uh that's heel boy you gotta love it uh i actually thought that was pretty good i mean that is that is the biggest dick move you can do isn't it so narita takes forever to get to the ring that's the whole story here is narita he's gonna you knew he was gonna fight his way back to the ring but it took a while but what was fun about this one, Jeremy, is we got to see Minoru Suzuki play Ricky Morton. Maybe take apparel, baby. <laughs> Suzuki and Desperado both got beaten down and both were selling, 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 selling. Because, of course, you got to be in all that. But Suzuki, we haven't seen him in that role. The one who's just taking the pounding and trying to get the tag and trying to get the tag. I'm not surprised he's good at it. I'm not surprised that Minoru Suzuki's good at anything, right? I mean, I always yeah. figure the guy has had that much experience and things, but it's a different side of him that we haven't seen before. He's in peril. It's working. The crowd's totally behind the dude. He finally manages to make a little bit of a comeback. He even plays to the crowd a little bit before tagging Narita. <laughs> I'm telling you, the man knows, the man can do anything, can't he? The, the whole scenario was designed to make Narita look like a star. Mm-hmm. And... They were confident with this plan. There's no wavering on this. Like even Narita came off like confident that he was ready for this role. Mm-hmm. So it really does speak to the work of the last five months from the beginning of the TV tournament to that Juke Robinson no DQ match on Strong. All that stuff that they've done to invest in him has paid off. He has looked like a winner and the audience is treating him like a winner. And this is the first belt that he got. Uh, he was positioned as the hero to basically win the belt for them. And, you know, you don't see this a lot. You don't see the young guy being the one that uh, brings it home for the team. But when it does happen, it really does work. And uh, this is, this is going to be a signature win for Narita, I think. 
This one sang, and uh, the the picture that's up on the screen here right now on YouTube. I know the podcast folks can't hear this, they can't see this. They can hear us. I hope, or else there's no point in doing this, is there? But uh, the uh, the uh, picture on there is Suzuki pointing toward Narita and playing to the crowd. And I'll tell you, they were into it. That hot tag got a pop. And then once he was in there, of course, it was just you know Narita just raining uh, fire down on House of Torture. In the end, he managed to get Yujiro Takahashi in the Cobra Twist. Now. Dick Togo hopped up on the ring apron, distracted the referee, and that uh, caused a little bit of consternation. Uh, House Torture was able to get the advantage back. And my favorite spot in the match, Yujiro Takahashi brings his uh, walking cane in, his big cane there. And he's about to blast Narita with it. He goes to charge, and Suzuki makes the last second save, throwing the big kick into Yujiro's head. So, I mean, the full Ricky Morton treatment here uh, Suzuki's getting. And uh, Narita fights his way out of it. In the end, all three members of the Narita, Desperado, Suzuki team have submission holds on the House of Torture. And uh, Yujiro and Narita were the legal men in the ring. Yujiro taps out. He's exactly the right guy uh, to, to do the tap. And uh, afterwards, hugs all around for Narita, Suzuki, and Desperado. They played the whole thing up where Narita was suspicious. Wasn't sure he wanted a team with Suzuki. He'd taken a lot of abuse from Suzuki as a young lion. Didn't particularly care for the guy. Respect is earned. They're the champions. And then afterwards, Suzuki even says, you know, we are happy to have the support of all of you in the crowd. Who is this man? I don't know who he is. He's, he's, turning, into, he's turning into Dusty Rhodes, too, now. Uh, has to have the support of the crowd. And they have, re they have named their team Strong Style. And he said afterwards... Uh, he had been searching his whole career, uh, and uh, but for his identity, and he says he feels like he was looking for strong style all along. And Ren Narita is the the perfect person to to bring in. And of course, uh, nobody's more dependable than El Desperado. That's the guys he wants by his side. Just this whole babyface Suzuki, Jeremy, it's doing it for me. Loving it. Keep it up. So when the history books are written on this, is it going to be referred to? that Suzuki Goon traditionally split into two other factions, which was TMDK and Strong Style. Is that basically what's going to come out of it, or are they going to treat it as two different events? Well, don't forget about just four guys, Jeremy. Come on now. Just four guys. So three factions. So there's three <laughs> factions so far. Yeah, uh, It's a little bit like Uncle Tupelo. But Tupel. they're all going to split up, into Wilco, right? and they split into you know Sunvolt, and then you know everything kind of went from there. It's, it's yeah, so... Uh, four people understood that, that. These are... <laughs> I got it, but oh, you don't get my comical references. So Five. I am going. I am. I am going to say this is, this is your world, and I'm living in it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like we're seeing a lot of faction warfare again, like stables, all building from like the three or four core. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see how they grow, expand, contract. What's going to stick around and what's not? Because so far, I generally think. They're doing better with the stable creation. Like just four guys definitely need an identity, but the other two feel like they're they're kicking off with a moderate amount of success. I don't think it's a coincidence that just four guys weren't on this show. And I, I think that there is something in mind. Either they're going to join up with somebody or 
something is going to be happening with with that group. I think they were left off of this one on purpose just to show that that group isn't cohesive yet, or at least isn't coming together as an effective unit yet. I think there's a story there. And I think being left off of this show altogether is part of that. That's just my little uh, tea leaf reading on that one. So next up, we had the loser leaves Japan match. Now, <laughs> when last you left us uh, a week oh, ago? Oh, I gotta eat this one, don't I? <laughs> well, we both. Well, we both do. I was. I was wavering. You were a little bit more confident in this one. It was. It just had. It had a couple of feelings about it that just leaned toward Jay White winning this one. So. As it went on, I will admit that they worked the match in a way that I was really positive Jay White was going to win it. So yeah, the, in the end, I was very surprised. Of course, as you can tell from context, Hikaleo defeated Jay White in 25 minutes and eight seconds, by far the biggest match of Hikaleo's life, a terrific one. Uh, and we talked about how Wato was not carried by Ishimori. I hope Hikaleo understands that I say this with respect when I say that when I say on the show now that this was an example of a great worker carrying another guy to a really good match because Hikaleo did his part. This is not me saying that Hikaleo was some stiff and doesn't belong. That's not what I'm saying. He's a talented guy, but Jay White made this thing and really did an impressive job with it. So we'll go down it a little bit here. Hikaleo's chop is developing into one hell of a weapon. He can get a lot of noise on that thing. Jay sells it great, and it probably helps that his hands are about the size of large pizzas. He, those things are just, if you look at look at Hikaleo's hand hit Jay White's chest, it like covers all of one of his pecs. Both guys working very hard here. They both took very rough bumps into barricades on the outside, like rougher than normal. Jay was working on Hikaleo's knee. Uh, there was uh, a ch some chair use over there when the referee was distracted from by Gato and Jado, who were arguing on the outside. This one kind of flowed through because when Jay hit the Kiwi Crusher, Hikaleo's in big trouble, was chopping him down, chopping down Hikaleo. So it was a rolls reverse, chop, chop, chop. Hikaleo's dropping to his knees, fading. And then he chops him back. The 20-minute call came, and that did not feel like 20 minutes to me. No, um, it was. It and, didn't. Like, this match went very long for what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Hikaleo got a power slam, sold his knee some. Uh, had a choke slam uh, attempt, but the ref was knocked down. Jay hit a low blow off of that. Uh, you had Jay working his gimmick as a counter wrestler. And the beauty of that as a heel, Jeremy, is even when your guy is on top, you can't feel safe with Jay White because part of Jay's thing is that he can turn any move into that Blade Runner. He can and just he counter anything. He did, man. Oh, when he went for a power slam, a running power slam, you know, like Scoot I'm not talking slam. about the, I'm not talking about the warlord power slam, but the, you know, the, the Buzz Sawyer power slam, the one where you whip the guy into the ropes, he comes off. Dustin Rhodes does a great version of this. One. Uh, you know, you just come down quick spin and all that stuff. It's almost like a, uh, it's almost like an arm drag, you know, like a deep arm drag type of thing. Jay stops in his tracks and hits the damn blade runner off of that. It was beautiful. So good. I was like, if I didn't, I knew the results before. Like, I had to no. work that morning, unfortunately. So I knew the results of all the matches. And I was just like, I actually woke up at like 2.30 in the morning for my work that day. And I was like, hmm, I know how this, I, I already know how this match ended. 
cool. Mm. So I just kind of went off with my day. And so I can't really give uh, Mike Gilbert a hard time for spoiling a whole bunch of people <laughs> in our word clock and our Facebook group for Fight Game Media telling a whole bunch of people about Mike. Jay White. But it happens. Uh, with that said, though, like, it was a pretty compelling match. Like, they made me care in a way that I didn't think I was going to care because I didn't really get the sense that Hikaleo was really all that invested in the way that he was promoting this match. But was this the best match of Hikaleo's career? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him go 25 minutes. I don't think I've ever seen him go 25 minutes in a potentially arguable main event style match. So cap off to him. And if this is if this is really the last time we see Jay White in a New Japan ring in Japan, I just have to say thanks for everything, buddy, because, man, you killed it while you were in New Japan. Well, let's talk about how this thing ended, because everything tells a story, right? Everything's part yeah. of it. So, by the way, there was a, a, a Blade Runner attempt that turned into a choke slam that he threw into a last ride powerbomb for a oh, wonderful... Yeah, yeah, yeah wonderful near fall there that the crowd believed like i think that was the moment that some of the people in osaka started to think god dang he might win this thing yeah and in the end though he grabbed jay for the choke slam jay realizing he was spent puts up the two sweet symbol and hikaleo actually taps him back with it then choke slams the living hell out of him and pins him and when that three count hit, there was that beautiful sound that you get out of a really good Japanese crowd, that type of... The air sucked out of the room. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it, as, a, as a wrestler who works in Japan, there can't be a better sound than that. Can't be. Uh, and they got it beautifully. And the whole thing was, you know, Jay had lost and there was that moment do you remember the moment at wrestle kingdom when he lost to okada and he said something to okada as he got back up and everybody wondered what it was and they never told us there's there were just these little moments from jay that it's like maybe he's showing a little bit of respect to people on the way out he fist bumped hiroshi tanahashi at ringside when he left that was that he, was pretty compelling that was a pretty compelling argument <laughs> and you know that and ghetto and then afterwards we're going to talk about this in the post-match comments he was apologizing to ghetto first of all he, he did not go on some heel rant he didn't do the to jay show as he calls it when he goes back there and does his post-match comments and he's he's some of the he's one of the best at them but he apologized to him he said i need some time so i don't want you to come to san jose with me i need some distance i need to think for a while and think about who i am and what i'm going to be and ghetto was just kind of you know being very supportive very unbullet club like and in the end he did a callback we're going to talk some jay white history later in the show but when he went away for his excursion his last match uh, as a young lion he got on the microphone and he told everybody that new japan ring is his home the new japan fans are my family he called back to that so even as he's sort of being Jay White and kind of doing a rather maniacal laugh a little bit there. He stops and he just says, the New Japan ring is my home. The New Japan fans are my family. And that was the end of his interview right there. He called back to it. There was a little bit of very real emotion right there. And there was, and just before he left the 
entrance. You know, like he didn't go down the loser's aisle. He went the ghetto, led him back up the main aisle so that he could kind of turn around and the crowd could give him a bit of an ovation on the way out. I understand that Jay is one of the best workers in that he doesn't wink. He doesn't go on social media and, t- and say, you know, well, you know, we're, I'm, I'm actually a nice guy taking pictures with people and sure. all that kind of, you know, but this felt like a real goodbye to me. Felt like a real goodbye. There's definitely there's definitely more sense of finality to this uh, performative effort by Jay White that I've seen in previous years in which he would state the same thing. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back or uh, this, the U.S. of J and all this stuff. This definitely feels like an escalation, but he's been so fucking skilled at fucking with the audience and fucking with the fans <laughs> that you just can't believe anything until he shows up in the ring that he's supposed to be in. You know, like if he's going to be working for WWE, I could, sure shit hope he's not going to the performance center first. Uh, yes, yeah, he should be, he should be well, showing up. And you know, he's like, got to learn how to, he's got, he's got to learn how to work, Jeremy. Yeah. After, after all those years, he's got to learn how to work. If, he ends up being Adam Cole's <laughs> opponent at Revolution. That's a completely different story, you know, like something like yeah. that. So, fuck man, wherever wherever Jay White goes, stays in New Japan, United States side, which doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense unless mm-hmm. he's getting paid a whole lot of money to do so, or right. AEW or WWE. It's like sky's the limit, man. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if WWE is the right place for him, but you know. Maybe we can see a different side of Jay White that we don't normally see. And that'll be on us that we didn't see it in him before. Well, maybe so. And the other thing I keep going back to is that New Japan has a pretty, not perfect, but a pretty strong record of holding to their steps. Certainly more than what we're used to from American companies. Do you think they would break it if he was holding a title belt for some reason? Like they're defending title belts and like, hey, he wins the United States title for Kenny Omega at some point this year. And then he's like, by law or superseding statute, the title defended. He has to come back to Japan to defend the title. And I know as soon as I say that, we're going to be hearing from people who are going to point out times when they haven't held to their steps. And you're right. They have not yeah. always. This is, this is not an always thing. But New Japan usually does. They have a better uh, so, track record than most. There you go. So we'll, we'll have to see. Right now, there's no information out. There's no word. There, you know, And it might be because the simple fact of the matter is contract's not up yet. So yeah. who knows? Uh, and it might not be up. You know, that's that's what we don't know yet. So uh, that makes it an even more curious case. And to be fair, Hikuleo might not be in New Japan at the end of the year either. There's word that there are other people interested in him, mostly in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. So you know, it, this was a match going into it. We knew that we could lose one or both of these guys over the course of the year. So we'll have to see. And if it's right, Fightful had it first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's very true. So... Uh, Next up is the never open weight title match, Tamatanga and El Fantasmo. So that last match was a pretty tough act to follow. They did a good one though. Uh, Tamatanga, the never open weight champion. I felt like this was a little bit more in peril just because they had the big Hantai victory with uh, running Jay White out of town. I thought maybe they might balance it out, but instead, this turned into the first uh, solid defense right there for Tamatanga. And we got the serious El Fantasmo. There were no 
back raking uh, segments, no comedy really, and less flying than usually. Worked a heavyweight style. Uh, they worked mostly his uh, wrist. Uh, that was something everybody had done a little bit of something. There'd been a knee, there'd been a shoulder. Uh, now we're going to work the wrist a little bit. Uh, Japan is um, a lot more careful than your local indie show about working the same body part twice in a show. And uh, they even teased El Fantasmo being a little bit more intelligent than compulsive i'm not going to say that they make him sound stupid but sometimes he's look compulsive he got he grabbed the never open weight title belt teased smashing it with him with smashing tamatanga with it right in front of the referee instead he stopped himself handed the belt to marty asami (laughs) perhaps perhaps sign of leadership coming uh the uh gun stun was turned into a cr2 for terrific near fall at uh, 25 minute mark uh the sudden he hit the sudden death kick on tamatanga tamatanga managed to kick out of that uh they did a wonderful spot here. I'm just going to call this one out real quick. Sudden death kick was caught by Tamatanga, who then flipped him up. He did a backflip and into a stun gun for a gun stun for a beautiful looking two count. That was just a, they, they did it a lot smoother than I just said it. Uh, and then <laughs> the end, great. <laughs> the end was a J driller, uh, believe it or not. And uh, this was very cool. He attempted one. Uh, El Fantasmo countered that into a, something like a Northern light style suplex. Not exactly that, but close to it. Tama bridged out of it, which after 27 minutes had to be quite the chore for his quads and everything else uh, down below there. And uh, that, that that's just, Corth that's a tough, that's Dave, a, literally. <laughs> that is a tough, that's tough to do when you're fresh. I mean, after 25 minutes, just, you know, that was really impressive. He bridged out of it and then hit the J driller after looking up to the heavens there. I'm not sure that the new Japan fans really understood because we mentioned on the show about the Briscoes, mm-hmm. uh, they've had a run in new Japan, but maybe it wasn't extensive the way, uh, young box, certainly not gorillas of destiny. I heard a lot good. of tributing in this match, a lot of tributes here, but you know, the J meant a lot to a lot of people. So it yeah. made sense in that sense. Tomatonga got the win. And uh, yeah, there it goes. The the further destruction of Bullet Club, the further uh, the, the rise of Hontai. Jado had the best, may have had the best night of anybody. You know, um, I've heard some people call this match boring, and I don't think it was boring. But yeah, what I think is that you have two guys that people aren't necessarily as invested in on the New Japan roster that they would typically be as opposed to the rest of the roster. So I d- think they just kind of suffer from the exposure that they have. It's not, it's not the same level of like, say, a Naito or a Sonata or a Taichi. For whatever reason, they haven't, they haven't earned that kind of credibility with, with uh, traditional and actually non-traditional New Japan fans. And that's kind of a shame because Tamatonga is in the best run of his career. And ELP has always been delivering on high level matches, but he's had a run since Forbidden Door with the Young Bucks. That mm-hmm. uh, even though even though those Shingo matches for King of Pro Wrestling weren't everybody's cup of tea, none of them were bad matches. And we're still getting used to El Fantasmo as a threat at heavyweight, right. which takes a little while. Uh, Shingo Takagi made the transition very smoothly, but he never, never looked like he never looked like a junior in the first place. I didn't think anyway. I when when they had Shingo in the junior heavyweight division when he first got to New Japan, it always looked a little weird. Anyway, it's like how is this mm-hmm. guy making weight? Uh, of course, all that's worked anyway. I think, but the El Fantasmo as a heavyweight who can beat other heavyweights is still a story to be told, and that could come. And it'll come in time because the guy's talented enough. 
but we've been watching him compete for juniors. So when he's I'd say it's coming out part of the G1. Yeah, I, there's going to be something like that where he just really has a great showing because he's too talented not to, just not there yet. And everybody has to go through that. Osprey did. Uh, to take anybody that started off as a junior and worked his way up to heavyweight, there was a bit of a bridge there where it took him a while to establish credibility. I will say, given where he's bracketed on the New Japan Cup that we're going to cover in a few minutes, I find his positioning very interesting. It can go either way. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get into that in just a bit because we have to talk about the IWGP World Heavyweight title match. Kazuchika Okada and Shingo Takagi. What a beautiful wrestling match this was. I love both of these guys. They're so good. It's really wonderful. And it's more of the establishment of Kazuchika Okada as the new Antonio Inoki. And I think they are leaning into that harder than they would perhaps if Anoki were still alive. I don't know if they would be as comfortable with all of the vivid imagery of a new Anoki if Anoki were still around. But uh, since his passing, I think they feel a little bit more comfortable really invoking it big time with this. And there was more of that in here. Besides just the, the buildup of someone who overcomes every obstacle, which is where they've gone with Okada. It's just a matter of now he's starting to work and Noki moves into his match where he hadn't before. It was a terrific match. It was back and forth with no real sustained advantage, but the big move started around 15 minutes, which is interesting because this thing went 3207. So there was a long period where these guys were trading big moves. We're talking about money clips, flying elbows, tombstone on the floor before 20 in a 32 minute match. And it really picked up with at about 25 minutes. There was a big Bushido contest, you know, the whole thing in new Japan where everybody just stops and starts taking turns, throwing stiff forearms at one another. Mm. That turned into a maiden Japan that looked terrific. Now maiden Japan is a secondary. So everyone knew that wasn't the finisher, but then he walks right through an Okada clothesline, which, doesn't happen very often. No. Hits a, hits a Takagi driver 98, a movie doesn't do very often, then crushes him with a pumping bomber, and then he goes for the last of the dragon. Now, this had some of the people in Osaka just thinking, oh, my God, this is it. But Okada then turned it into that roll-up that he did where he kind of ends up kneeling on the guy with his, you know, and, and the guy tries to kind of get his legs up and pull Okada back, but Okada grabs the legs and really pins him down in a high stack. And that got a near fall for two that got a big woo out of the crowd. Uh, he hit a rainmaker but couldn't cover him. The crowd was starting to really get behind Shingo at that point. Mm -hmm. There was a rainmaker attempt that turned into Last of a Dragon. That was a heart stopper. It was at the 30-minute mark, and it only got two. But when he went for that clothesline and ran into Last of the Dragon, at that point, it's 50-50 in your mind. Are they doing the, the kick out was here? amazing. Oh, and Okada was one of the best at that. His timing is brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the move that really tipped me off, uh, Jeremy, that this was going to be another, uh, you know, I felt, we, we both strongly felt that this was going to be a retention for Okada. He hits the Enzugiri, which is a move that we see all the time now, but Enoki really made a big deal of. I don't think Enoki uh, invented it, but he certainly popularized it. And it was one of his biggest moves. He hits that. And then after that, it was a dragon suplex by Shingo. Uh, but they came out of it right into an Okada dropkick. Okada hit the big lariat. A Cobra Flosion, which is another kind of move that you don't always see him hit. Then the Rainmaker. 
and got the pinfall on it. This was great. It just, it was dramatic. It had wonderful near falls. It had wonderful work from two of the best in the world. When we went into this one, we did not expect a title change and we didn't get one, but what we expected was a wonderful match between two great wrestlers. And we absolutely got that. Masterclass matchup, man. I, I have this thing with Shingo Takagi that I forget that he was a world title holder a year and a half ago or mm-hmm. like eight, 12 months, 14 months ago. Like he mm-hmm. was holding the world title and he carries himself in such a way that he is a perennial contender. But there's just something in my wiring that I forget that he's actually held the title. So, Tokyo Sports MVP as well that year. Yeah, he just. He really picked up the ball when other people couldn't couldn't do it for whatever reason, you know, with Will Ospreay. He was basically Will Ospreay's proxy. Whatever story that Will had set up for that year, they just put Shingo in there, and he delivered on every match. He delivered on the notion of, I've got to fill in for Will fucking Ospreay, the goat, <laughs> the Billy goat. So, you know, it's like when we talk about uh, – Taiji Ishimori being underrated, there is an argument that Shingo is still a little bit underrated given how talented he is, who he could hang with in the ring, and the fact that he's just he's got Okada and Naito and a couple other people there that, you know, kind of prevents him from truly getting his due. So let's go over another note there that makes Okada more Enoki-esque. First of all, sportsmanship, which isn't totally unusual for Okada over the last few years. But he said very kind things on the microphone about Shingo on the way out. Said, uh, you know, doing this in front of a cheering crowd with you was even better. Uh, it's always been a tough match, but, uh, you know, I respect you as an opponent. Let's do it again sometime, you know. So Shingo gave the thumbs up before uh, walking back out. And then we also saw him then say some very nice things about Hiroshi Tanahashi, who was there on commentary and actually challenged Tanahashi. He said, would you like to have a title match? And uh, if you're not too tired, he said, to which uh, Tanahashi replied, I've never been tired in my life. So they are uh, going to go at it at Battle in the Valley uh, this Saturday because we wondered what the match was going to be. And uh, we sort of I'm totally okay with that, by the way. I'm totally are okay you, with that. That doesn't hurt your feelings too much? You know, I feel like I feel like they didn't have to give me that, given the rest of the card, <laughs> but it's really nice of them to do so. Yeah, they could have given you Takamishinoku, and you probably would have been all right with it. That's... I would have taken a driver. Sure. <laughs> no, that would have been okay, right? Yeah, it, it so would have but, but it, the whole thing is that now he's he's the statesman, and he's representing sportsmanship as well as New Japan. I mean, the the Inoki imagery is, is strong right here. And, uh, so he, he's not okay. doing the Ichinisanda ichi thing at the end, but everything but. I know we're going to talk about the bracket, but we sure. have a perfect segue to talk about unsportsmanlike conduct on the behalf of Okada when it comes to his confrontation with Kiyomiya. We have heel Okada again, popping up a mere 24 hours later. So uh, they had the great voyage show. Noah did. That's who they are. Noah, Uh, the great voyage show, which was in the same building in Osaka. Now uh, I mentioned that new Japan uh, drew 4,055 the uh, Great Voyage Show drew 2,092. So it shows you a little bit where those two companies are in relation to one another. Big shows, uh, back-to-back nights in the same building there. Uh, Naito made an appearance, of course, hyping up his match coming up with uh, Keiji Muto, which is allegedly, supposedly, 
probably not the final one that Keiji Muto is going to have. But hey, <laughs> but hey, it's it's it looks good on a billboard and it'll sell some tickets. So we'll say it's the last one. Uh, I don't. It's I, been I, on a lot of billboards actually. Uh, there's a there's viral been a lot of last photo matches. by uh, Jim Valley and Fumi Kaido where all the bus stop photos are all Keiji Muto's last match. Like very cool. papered everywhere. Well, that's cool. And uh, hopefully it's a big crowd because it, it could help all companies. But after the GHC title match in which Kato Kiyomiya defeated Jack Morris, uh, Kazushi Okada attacked him from behind, ran up from behind, grabbed him, spun him around, gave him a rainmaker, left him right there, and uh, said some very unkind things to him and uh, basically accepted the match that he had been denying he was going to take all along. Go figure. Uh, he did end up accepting that uh, GHC title and uh, a champion against the IWGP champion. Again, important note though, Jeremy, no titles on the line in that one. No. I think that accomplishes a couple of things. Uh, one, it allows them to do a 30 minute draw instead of a 60 minute draw. Uh, you don't have to work the 60 minutes. And uh, I think that uh, that's my prediction as to where that one's going to go. I'm looking forward to the match, Jeremy, but where do you think they're going to do with it? It's either a draw or Kiyomiya wins because Kiyomiya needs a win or a draw more than Okada needs a win and him mm -hmm. losing isn't the biggest deal. But my prediction earlier this year was that Okada doesn't suffer a single loss this entire year. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that would tend to include uh, New Japan singles matches outside of the territory. If that were the case, the draw seems to be the most logical effort. But... I think it's in everybody's best interest to have it look as if Kiyomiya is going to win, but the draw happens. Okay. Where there's, there's some level of like, Kiyomiya had this, he just needed a little bit more time. And I think that's the, that's the natural impetus of how they should go with it. Whether they do or not, who knows? I'm just a guy in California that's excited to watch the match. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it should be interesting to see. And uh, just to, to give you an idea, that building I mentioned earlier has been used a lot. Now, uh, they did a new beginning in Osaka there. Noah did Great Voyage. Stardom Supreme Fight on February 4th, also in that same building. Uh, that one drew about 1,800. So uh, 2,100 for Noah and about 4,000 for uh, New Japan, just to give you kind of an idea of uh, some crowds and uh, perhaps not, maybe not apples to oranges, or maybe not apples to apples, but maybe not totally out. Uh, nice little point of comparison there. So, that's so we'll, do a, we'll do a preview of those New Japan adjacent matches next week on the yeah, show. Absolutely. Cool. Now, that leads us to the bracketing for the New Japan Cup. So we know who the <gasps> champions are. <laughs> I know you're so excited. Let's bring it up and let's take a look at it. Now we're going to, now we're covering up some of these guys. There we are. So, yeah. I, so what's the first thing I know what jumps out at me. And I mentioned this before, Jeremy, I feel like Shota Umino is at least going to the semifinals in this one. I also feel like Will Ospreay is going to do very well. So for me, that covers the bottom half of the bracket. I see Shota coming out of the bottom right. Will Ospreay coming out of the bottom left with some interesting matchups along the way. I'm hoping we actually see Mark Davis and Will Ospreay in the second round, uh, just because the New Japan Cup is a rare opportunity, along with G1, for faction mates to wrestle each other when it doesn't have to be one turning on the other. So that's kind of what I see out of the bottom of the bracket. What, what jumps out of you when you look at that? So El Fantasmo either is going to clear Naito or he's not. But that's the big that's the big if on that side of the bracket. If Naito should 
I think Naito should be the guy to make it to the, the bracket ender on that one. Hmm. If that's the case, do you have evil screw over Will Ospreay and go in there and be the guy that uh, is the threat? Because at some point, evil probably going to have to face Okada. And this could be a good way to do it. The other side has me very, very interested with Yoshihashi, Kyle Fletcher, and Hiroki Goto, which kind of says to me that Aussie Open will be getting some, uh, maybe a title shot out of this potentially, and we yep. could keep going forward with their momentum. And Aussie Open is my 2023 team to beat. And I know that uh, I know that they put out that Kyle Fletcher put out that Twitter post about how they don't have any bookings or all that, but man, I don't know about that one. They're they're too good not to have people talking to them. Uh, Shingo Takagi or Tamatonga that that could be a one or the other because they're both kind of high level uh, title holders in some way shape or form and then I kind of think kind of think Zack Sabre Jr. could be you know going very very strong on the other end given that he was a, a winner last year and he's a title holder now so those are both two elements to make me say that Sabre is a good shot Shingo, Shingo and Saber on one end, and yeah, Naito or ELP versus Osprey or Evil on the other end. I'm sticking with Umino on that. I, I still feel like they believe in him big time as a babyface, and they're going to give him a run in this thing. I uh, could always be wrong, but I just it just that's what it feels like to me with the way he's being portrayed. So, so he beats him, and then Baby does a TV title challenge. Mm, could be, yeah. I mean, there could be something like that. I mean, it's that title is supposed to be for younger wrestlers, so that they could are, be something to do with it. Allegedly. I, don't know. I just feel like Zach should probably go further in the in the thing. I'm kind of surprised he doesn't have a bye. Oh, he does have a bye. He does. He's got anyway, the bye yeah. after the uh, showdown. Yeah, the, the buys are weird. Uh, the, this this feels very random to me, and I mean, it's not random because they have you know they know what they want to do with this, but they never really came up with a logical reason why anyone gets a buy. Of all uh, the people, Chase Owens. Love Chase it. Owens, yeah. And <laughs> Kenta, who just lost. Uh, who else has one that's weird? Uh, well, Great Okan, who, who's at least been winning his matches, but over Young Lions. It's, it's, there's not a whole lot of logic to some of these. It, it, it is I, a choice. <laughs> but, you know, you have King of Pro Wrestling and the never open weight champion in the same little section right there with Shingo, Aaron Hanare, and Tomatonga. So you could get Shingo... Uh, beating Tamatanga and then maybe getting a never title shot, which wouldn't hurt my feelings. You know, it could also be Aaron Hanare getting a win over Shingo and going after King of Pro Wrestling. Who knows? I mean, I've been saying that there are options. I'm not advocating either one. And so uh, Ren Narita, what's going to happen with Ren? How far is he going to get in this? He's on the side with Will Ospreay. So one of those two not making the finals. I think uh, think that's evil receipt for losing the titles. And then we also have Sonata and Taichi in the first round, which is always a, a subtext. What is going on with Sonata? And is, you know, and Sonata and Naito are in the same part of the bracket. Are they going to run into each other? And it's because part question, of, question, question. Part of Sonata's remember? interviews have been that he's a little distraught right now. Is, is he going to go out early, which is part of that story, or is this the rally? Did Sonata beat Kenta in the TV title tournament? Oh gosh, you're gonna ask me that off the top of my head. I'm pretty um, sure Sonata moved forward and then faced Kenta, and then Ren Narita faced Sonata. So Sonata beat Kenta. I would tend to think Kenta beat Sonata uh, hmm. in the return match here. Could hmm. very well be. Someone Call say, back. <laughs> a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting possibilities there in this one is all we're saying. But we'll chew on it and talk about it in a week or two when uh, hmm. we get closer and everybody kind of 
report for duty. There you have it. So, uh, yeah, they, anyway, uh, just a 24-man tournament, which is a uh, strange number, and it's led to some strange uh, bracketology on it, too. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on that as we move forward. So up next, we're going to talk about the next big show. And seeing they're coming fast and furious. There's one on Saturday. It's Battle in the Valley. You are going to be there live. I'm going to be there live. So excited. Uh, Let's break down this card here. So uh, a couple of uh, preview matches. You have Alex Coughlin against J.R. Kratos. And then this one here, David Finlay against Bobby Fish. Now, Bobby Fish was just in a boxing match in the Middle East. He's been working for everybody in the world now. It's funny how he is everywhere doing everything, except when he signed to a company. When uh, Once he signed, he isn't on TV very much. So <laughs> maybe maybe this whole thing works out better for him. I don't know. But uh, that, that's a match there that's uh, Finlay and Fish. It is a match. I hope that David Finlay wins this match. Uh, I don't have much to say to it. I, uh, I was excited when we had six or seven matches on this card that this match was happening. It's like, cool, they're making an effort to fill out this card. With that said, <laughs> it seems a little unnecessary now that we're at 10 matches, given what's at the top of the card. We are, uh, this, is, this is the other end of a very high-quality card. This is yeah. quality. Yeah, <laughs> not, you're right. Not it's, the high quality. <laughs> I just thought that was an interesting one, too. So we'll we'll go over the rest of this undercard here real quick. Uh, Rocky Romero, Josh Alexander, and Adrian Quest, and Mascara, Mascara Dorada. Come on, Stephen. Uh, against Volador Jr., Kushida, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. A lot of talent in that one, but I can imagine it's going to be a quickie. Uh, Volador Jr. and Rocky Romero are feuding over the welterweight title in CMLL, so that will be part of that story as well. We will have... An interesting one. Fred Rosser against Kenta for the strong title. Do you smell a title change here? I 100% smell a title change for this one. 100%. And then you hit Alex Shelley and Chris Saban against Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. That's for the strong tag team titles. That should be a good match. Uh, you know what I like to call you know, You know, I made a header for this one, and I like to post it because this is great. WCW <laughs> WCW versus MCMG. There you go. So the Motor City Machine Guns, which is one of my favorite tag team names going right now. But these guys are very, very good. So that'll be fun to watch. And then we have uh, what's going to be an interesting one, Eddie Kingston against Jay White. Now, we're going to get a little bit of a hint as to Jay White, perhaps. We'll see his demeanor. That We'll see the way he works this one. And, of course, Eddie Kingston was pulled off of shows last week for an injury. So hopefully he's uh, going to be able to work this one effectively. I'm sure he's going to try. I have a hot okay. take for you. Let's hear it. Eddie Kingston will be live on Wrestling Observer Live on Thursday to hype this match. And then mm. Jay White will be live on Wrestling Observer Live on Friday to hype this match. If there is any indication this match is not happening, I do not believe that those interviews would be happening. <laughs> no, I, I I feel like the match is going to happen. I just hope that Eddie is healthy enough to have a good one, is, I guess is what I'm okay. saying right there. I, I feel like he's I feel like Eddie would go in there no matter what. <laughs> so whether he's hurt Missing or not. Missing a leg and just, still trying to wrestle yeah, this match. Yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's going to work this match. You know, I, I, I hope he's able to, to, to have a, a good one if his body allows him. So uh, no ropes, no DQ. Tom Lawler versus Homicide. That's interesting enough. Uh, okay. Then we have there it is. What, what are your thoughts on that one? How would you? That's literally it. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've never been a homicide fan. Uh, I'm yeah, always I happy agree. to see Lawler. Um, just a big fan of his and everything that he's done. But uh, 
this is just something to do something different on a card that otherwise they'd kind of be forgotten about. And I hope this is the blow off to the month long feud that they've had. And they just kind of move forward with it. Cause I'm kind of done with the Lawler Holocide thing, but it's okay. If it keeps going, it's not, it, it, there are other things on the card to keep me interested. And one of those is Zack Sabre Jr. against Clark Connors for the NW or the uh, NWA. Ah, my, my goodness. NJPW world television championship. Thank goodness you're here. There it is. The NJPW television title, Zack Sabre Jr. against Clark Connors. Uh, Should be a good one, but uh, certainly expecting a retention here. Yes, yes. Uh, Strong match, but I don't think this is going to be Connors' night. He can crack a beer open and maybe confront somebody after. Oh, God, I hope he doesn't do that stuff. Adam Page is already a dollar store, Steve Austin. I don't think we need a... Uh, nickel crocodile Clark. Of that either yeah i don't uh, i don't really think we need more i i can't believe i just came up with cro- crocodile clark <laughs> <laughs> but we have a double main event Ooh. very intriguing of course we've already mentioned okada versus tanahashi and that's the one jeremy i am fascinated by this one the first new japan pro wrestling match by mercedes monet formerly sasha banks against Kyrie. We know what Kyrie can do. We know what Monet can do in the ring. Monet hasn't wrestled in quite a while, but I know she's going to be in shape. You know what this is going to mean to her to come out and have a good match. I am fascinated by this one. I can't wait. I have very high expectations for this match. I also think that those expectations will be met. The only thing that is I I am fairly certain that there might be like a, a yip or a hiccup at the very beginning of the match but after that it'll be smooth sailing it's going to be interesting to see now of course the, they were both in wwe for a while as they have they've run into each other before and Kyrie's one of the best workers out there so i'm not worried about that we know that i keep wanting to call her banks but we know what Monet can do so you have two very very talented women in there but it, this does feel like there's an awful lot on the line, more than just the, a, a pro wrestling championship for this one. So uh, Monet is going to want to prove that she is what she's portrayed herself as, which is the biggest draw on the female yeah. side of the business. And so she's going to be in front of not the hugest crowd, but a sold out one. Did her job, sold the tickets, right? And, and the whole card did. But I mean, she's this is the biggest match there, especially when those tickets sold out. This was the biggest match that had been announced. And uh, there's a lot of pressure on this one. So I, I feel like they're going to uh, pull it off. I, I don't think that people are going to walk out there just going, oh, that was disappointing because I don't, I think Kyrie and Monet are absolutely careful, ca- uh, capable of putting on a really strong uh, match here. And I think we're going to get one. I also think we're going to get a new champion. I think we're going to get a new champion. I think this is going to be one of the conversations that people are having on Monday is results of Elimination Chamber and uh, Mercedes Monet's debut. And there's a very real possibility that she is the female wrestler of the weekend. That basically that's the conversation is whatever happened with Roman and Sammy and whatever happened with Mercedes Monet. And, uh, She's done very well to cultivate an image and then keep very, very quiet until this until this week of this match. And she started to drop some new social media. But Mercedes Monet, with the ability to plan for a match over the course of two months with Kyrie, is either the best thing or the worst thing that could possibly happen to her. 
That's very true. I think we're also going to get the real heelish version of of Monet too. Sure. So yeah, and uh, yeah, now and we go right from that into only a few days later. It's interesting for this is going to be an interesting week for Okada. So he wrestles in Osaka on uh, Saturday. He's going to be the following Saturdays in San Jose, California, so we can get his in and out. That's always important to Okada if you follow him on social He'll media. He'll be going local in and out. He'll He's going to be loading up on in and out. I, I live I live in Texas, Jeremy, where yeah. everything is Whataburger, Whataburger, Whataburger. But I'm in Austin, so have, most of the people here aren't from here, and we have a couple of In and Outs, and uh, it's a lot better than Whataburger. But don't let anybody in Texas know. Dude, I just found out there's a Shake Shack near my house. And it's- oh, that's good too. Anyway, but yeah, every time Okada is in the United States, he tends to eat a dinner now, which I always think is really funny. Go so, to <laughs> Well, Ishii, yeah. Oh, does he really? Is that one of his? He does. He's a, he's a huge in and outer. It's really good. So uh, up after that, we're they're right back into uh, Tokyo because they got to go to the Dome, and they've got big matches there. So you're looking at the uh, Tokyo Dome match on the 21st. It's Naito versus Muto in what is allegedly Kaiji Muto's final match. We also have uh, Hiromu Takahashi against Amakusa. Uh, so that's a battle of the junior heavyweight champions. It should be phenomenal. There's an undercard match, uh, Ghetto and Taiji Ishimori against uh, Nosawa Rongai and Mazada. And then, of course, the big clash, the GHC champion against the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kato Kitamiya, Kiyomiya against Kazuchika Okada. And I, I'm just going to apologize right now. I have tripped over so many names that I don't normally trip <laughs> over in this show. And I, I don't know why. I don't know why I just have today. So... I appreciate everybody's patience at home uh, with my fumbles. Sometimes I have the yep. Sometimes you have the yep. Ah, I'm usually I'm usually a lot better at names than this, but uh, yeah. So uh, Kato Kiyomiya, Kazuchika Okada, and it's not title versus title, but my prediction on that one still, I'm going with the uh, 30 minute draw on that. Uh, but well, I also see, agree yeah. with I agree with you, Jeremy. If there is a finish, it's Kiyomiya who could then challenge for the IWGP title, but then he would lose and is. Is that a good move for Noah to have your it, guy it, just go and challenge and lose? It's messy. I like I like the draw, but Kiyomiya almost had him kind of approach. I'll tell you what, if this were the uh if this were the 80s or 70s, you know double count out every time. Mm. Every time double count out's coming. We don't have to worry about that anyway, but we might get a really good 30-minute match. All right, so we are going to close off this show with you talking about Jay White's history in New Japan. Yeah, we're going to go on the premise that Jay actually is done, going on the idea that they're going to hold to their stipulation, at least for a while, right? I mean, they're not going to just bring him right back if, if, if they do some sort of gimmick to get Jay back in. It's not going to happen immediately. But let's take a look at Jay's career in Japan so far. So Jay White, born in New Zealand, mentioned on a previous show, he actually won a contest. I believe it was either a radio station or a TV station contest. He got to go from New Zealand to California to uh, watch WrestleMania and things. And so uh, he was he was a wrestling fan, and that was a big moment for him. He actually ended up debuting in pro wrestling for uh, the first, well, the first record, first match we have on record is for Varsity Pro Wrestling, and then the next day for All-Star Wrestling in England. So he, it looks like he started his career in England. Now, the records for Varsity Pro and All-Star Wrestling in England at that time, not complete. So the first thing we have a record of him is November 1st, 2013 for Varsity Pro, November 2nd for All-Star Wrestling. And uh, it, it was one of those things where he wrestled there in these uh, smaller shows there in England. He spent 2014 there before he headed to Japan. He seems to have finished up in England around late October of uh, 2013. 
14, and he did not have a listed match in Japan until January of 2015. So November, December might have been when he was getting settled into the dojo, learning the system. Uh, and then in January, very late January, in fact, it was January 30th, 2015, the first match in New Japan was a loss in the opener of a card to Alex Shelley at the Road to New Beginning in Toko Orozawa. So the uh, thriving metropolis of Toko Orozawa, uh, the, uh, op <laughs> the opening match there. In case you're wondering, by the way, I I'm always curious about this stuff. The main event of that show was a uh, tag match. It was Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, Katsuyori Shibata, and Ryusuke Taguchi. They defeated Carl Anderson, Tot Gallows, Tama Tonga, and Kenny Omega. So a 2015? Uh, 20 in uh, January of 2015. Yeah, that was a... Uh, <sighs> A little bullet club Time capsule. <laughs> a little bit right and uh if you want to know just how much of a young lion jay was in 2015 he went eight and 96 eight wins 96 losses that year uh hadn't his quite gotten the counter yet down not quite yet his contemporaries by the way in the young lion uh lineup were uh david finlay yohei komatsu who you now know as yo and show tanaka now known as show so Finlay, Yo, Sho, and Yo were the other young lions that were getting the crap kicked out of them by the veterans that whole uh, most of that year. His first listed New Japan win, September 12th of that year. So we went from January to September to only ending up on the losing side. And he beat David Finlay in that match. It was a singles match there, another card opener. So 2016 began the build, though. Spent 2015 doing jobs, being a young lion, mostly, uh, especially at the end of the year when Los Ingobernables came up. Then, uh, you know, Naito redefined himself and uh, was a real heel. He would do the thing where uh, he would demand that Jay hold the ropes open for him. When Jay would do so, Naito would kick the ropes and rack Jay's nuts. Poor guy spent a lot of time getting his nuts racked by uh, Tetsuya Naito. <laughs> so if you want to talk about paying your dues, the man paid his dues. When you so, talk about uh, stardust. Wow, man. <laughs> Uh, he's not a father yet either. He's married, but he's not a father yet. If he's not, it's a Naito's fault, I tell you. So uh, in 2016, they did begin the build. Now, he was a senior to a new young lion named Hirai Kawato, now known as Master Wado. So he started getting some wins. And he, uh, but for the most part, was still dropping matches. But he would sometimes be on the winning side of a tag match. Sometimes he would beat another young lion in a singles match. That He was at that type of level sort of where we're seeing Fujita now, I think. So as we get to Dominion, which was June 19th in 2016 at Osaka Joe Hall, he uh, wrestled uh, Hiroshi Tenzan, Satoshi Kojima, and Manabu Nakanishi. That was it uh, at Dominion. And they beat uh, White and uh, Finn Juice, uh, Juice Robinson and David Finlay, in seven minutes and 53 seconds. And that was Jay's send-off match. That was when he was going away off to excursion. So that's when he actually did a little promo that said, this ring is my home. Right. The fans are my family that he did the callback to. So after that, uh, it, that was the 19th on the 25th. He was in Concord, North Carolina for a ring of honor TV taping. And uh, do you know uh, who his opponent was that TV taping? I, I didn't get, I didn't tell you you needed to look it up. So I cheated on this one. Probably not, but how about Kamaitachi? Do you know who that is? Nope. That would be the excursioning Hiromu Takahashi. Love it. Not back yet. So two ships passing in the night. Hiromu was not far away from uh, going back to Japan. 
but Jay was just beginning his uh, excursion. Two highly developed there. excursion talents. I'm sure, Ring of Honor didn't mind having that match on there. <laughs> Not at all. And then you think about it, like Sho and Yo weren't too far behind into Ring right. of Honor as the Tempura Boys, and you know, they, again, their batting average is insane with these guys. So uh, it, it really impressive. And of course, David Finlay, who's a terrific worker. So uh, he worked uh, some in England as well, but his consistent losing days were over with because Ring of Honor protected him a lot. He wasn't undefeated in Ring of Honor, but he didn't lose a whole lot. And in 2017, this guy worked everywhere. He was Ring of Honor, PWG, House of Glory, IWC, Rev Pro, Smash Wrestling, Wrestle Circus right here in Austin, Texas. 11 different promotions in 2017. Uh, the first time I saw him, Jeremy, was in September 9th. Uh, that's when he lost to Sammy Guevara uh, here at uh, the Wrestle Circus shows. Wrestle Circus was a little Austin-based uh, promotion that was uh, used a lot of the same guys PWG uh, used. We really had some very strong cards on that. And so Sammy Guevara and Jay White on one of those shows. And at the end of 2017, he was starting to lose uh, more matches on the way out because on January 4th, 2018, he returned to New Japan as the Switchblade. And, of course, they started showing promos on the, the video screen late in the year, the mysterious Switchblade logo with the knife slashes and things. And they didn't tell you who it was at first, but then you found out it was him. He returned at Wrestle Kingdom 12, where he faced Hiroshi Tanahashi for the Intercontinental title. He lost that match. But uh, it was a good one, and it was his uh, big return to the New Japan ring. The next day at New Year's Dash, he immediately injected himself into the top of the card storyline. First of all, he defeated Katsuya Kitamura in a match. Kitamura, if you remember, was the very bulky, uh, ripped, young lion, big guy uh, that unfortunately passed away this past oh, year. Oh, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, that was Kitamura. So he, he beat Kitamura at New Year's Dash. And he teased joining Bullet Club, but he turned on Kenny Omega and hit him with a Blade Runner and turned him down flat in a premonition that uh, Jay was not willing to be under Kenny Omega in Bullet Club. He had bigger plans than that. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, he, he turned on Kenny, joined Chaos. Just saying that because you have to join a faction. It was very, very clear early on <laughs> that he wasn't all in on the whole Chaos ethos there. And, of course, It was just we know. a meme to an end. <laughs> oh, boy. Now we know that a plan had been hatched, and we were, were seeing it unfold. But to give you an idea how quickly Jay was pushed when he came back, mentioned, started off his return by facing Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom for the Intercontinental title. Huge match, right? January 28th of that year, at new beginning at Sapporo, he captured his first New Japan title by beating Kenny Omega for the U.S. belt. So I mean, right away, Ghetto clearly had a lot of plans for him. Of course, we mention it every week. Ghetto is the booker of uh, New Japan Wrestling. He held that title. You, history might repeat itself on that U.S. He title held, win. Yeah, and he held that title until the infamous G1 special in San Francisco. Uh, he lost that one to Juice Robinson. Now, do you remember the weird thing that happened during that match, Jeremy? The San Francisco G1 match? Yeah. Okay. It's the reason we don't have Josh Barnett as a commentator anymore. That's so that, right. So that, they were I fighting on the I was there for this. And I was trying to you remember. were in the building. I was there. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was wow. I was top of, yeah, they got pissy with each other. And then Barnett, like, didn't realize it wasn't part of the show. Like, Barnett almost overreacted. <laughs> well, definitely. Here's what happened. And it, and it was a legitimate thing because Juice and Jay were fighting on the outside of the ring. 
they whipped Jay, either Jay whipped Juice or Juice whipped Jay. Somebody went into the barricade into the broadcast position. The table moved and smashed Jim Ross in the right. ribs and hurt him. And it's a famous moment because right there on live day, what was that on? Was that on Axis? That was live on Axis TV, I it think, was. back then. Was I was watching Saturday live. Night. Yeah, because Barnett just gets this look. Now, Barnett's a scary dude. He has been a UFC heavyweight for a long time, and he uses a lot of performance-enhancing drugs. He keeps getting banned for it. So this is a guy that you might not want to piss off. Instead, he just looks at him and says, live on the air, you done fucked up now, throws his headset off, and climbs over the barricade. Now, Jay was in the ring. <laughs> so it must have been Juice that went flying into it. Because I remember that Barnett slides in the ring to go after Jay. And this is not a work, that this is not supposed to happen. Jay just gets back out of the ring. He's like, screw this. I ain't, I'm not fighting him. I'm not, you know. And the referees are trying to calm him down and all this stuff. And it was this bizarre thing where an announcer tried to get involved in a match because he was mad that they injured JR. And they did hurt him. I don't remember if it broke a rib or bruised it badly, but he was in, in pain the rest of that show. Thankfully, that was a semi-main event. He didn't have too much longer to go. But very bizarre incident during that match right there. I and remember I, 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 it now. Do you remember him in the ring? And uh, what was everybody thinking? It was I, part of it? We're just like, what the? F this is weird. Like, yeah. what's going on? Because we didn't have any idea because we didn't have any announcement. You're just like, why is, why is, is there going to be a Barnett, like, Jay White feud? Yeah, okay. that was a total you know shoot. I mean, Barnett but, just did it on his own, went into business for what was, and didn't now he wasn't even going into business for himself. That's a wrong phrase. He simply lost his temper and was mad at Jay White. And I always wanted for hurting to ask, Jim Ross. I always wanted to ask Barnett, what were you going to do if you caught him? Like, were you yeah. going to ruin the match? Because yeah. the whole thing is that match was the match that made Juice Robinson really, because he had yeah, been kind he of a guy. He, he had the he defeated Man gimmick basically that time. Yeah, and it made juice into something there on that on the babyface side, and I just wondered if he had gotten a hold of Jay White, what what was he going to do? Pull his arm right. out of the socket? He could have. He certainly was capable of doing so. But what, what was he going to ruin Juice's night? I'm honestly <laughs> not sure. Before we get back on track with this, I will tell you one of yeah. the things I have a problem remembering that show is because almost only thing I remember at this point is Hiromu's injury. That's right. That was what I was going to mention next. That is the same infamous night where Hiromu Takahashi wrestled Dragon Lee, took that uh, that suplex or whatever that move was. It should never like be done again. a driver on his neck. A driver right on his neck. And it looked nasty in the moment. Like that. Oh, was yeah. We thought where... he was dead. And then he got up and like, oh, thank God. Uh, oh, yeah. And then it turns out he passed out backstage. Turns out he his made neck it. was he broken. He made it to the curtain and he was down. Like and he like he hit a hurricane Rana or something after that, or like, it was insane. Like it, it shows you what adrenaline can do, I suppose, if nothing else. And, and it was uh, a move where you did absolutely kind of curl up a little bit and went, Oh no. Uh, but then he got up and kept wrestling and won the match. And you just like, Oh, well, I guess he's all right. That's and then he exactly found out, what no, happened. Not at all. All right. And then, and then like the only thing afterwards could grin, I wasn't, I wasn't plugged into any of the people that I know now or anything like that. I'm just a guy with yeah. a buddy that goes to this show. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to figure out what's happening on Twitter and all that stuff. And you're just like, yeah. what the actual F? And, you know, I, I, was, I was just following along with Hiromo until he came back, what, nine, ten months later? If that yeah, was, it was a while. 
Almost a year, almost a yeah. year later. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and that, uh, okay. So we'll move on from that. That was, a, it was just a crazy night. And that was all. Just a reason uh, to bring it up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That was a very weird night. So uh, he went on to the G1 that year. Hey, man, this is his first year. Like really going through all this stuff. 2017 here, uh, he, or 2018 rather. Uh, he beat both Tanahashi and Okada in the G1 that year. So uh, Tanahashi ended God. up winning the tournament. And he went on to win the IWGP title. But before this, the tipping point took place. And that is when Tanahashi defended the briefcase. That was a thing that they did uh, once in a while. And he did it where he defended that briefcase against Kazucho Okada at Destruction in Kobe on September 28th, 2018. And that was the night where after the match, Tanahashi managed to defeat Okada. Jay White came out and demolished Tanahashi after the match. Then he started beating on Okada. Here's the match, right? Here's the moment. Well, that's when Gato ran out, and everybody was wondering, Ghetto, he's going to save his man Okada. He's been Okada's manager for a long time, but no, he hits Okada with a chair, and we find out that it's been the Bullet Club all along, and the Ghetto Club and for Jay, White, Jay White were now members of the Bullet Club, so that was that, and uh, Okada had been <laughs> turned on and demolished, and that was uh, the beginning of Jay White and Ghetto taking control of uh, bullet club. And of course, you know, the rest being history, he has uh, here's a little bit of trivia here. He has held every title singles title in new Japan once. So the U S title went from Kenny Omega to juice Robinson. We talked about that. The intercontinental title, he defeated Naito at destruction in Kobe destruction of Kobe being a pretty good uh, place for him. But then he lost it back to Naito at wrestle kingdom 14, the never open weight title. He won it May 3rd at, at uh, Duntaku from Hiroshi Tanahashi, then lost it to Ishii at Battle in the Valley 2021, just a couple of years ago. The big IWGP title, we talked about that one. He defeated uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi for that one, and uh, and he then he lost it to Okada at the big Madison Square Garden show where they were uh, ostensibly Ring of Honor and New Japan combined to sell out Madison Square Garden. I know I didn't care about any of the Ring of Honor matches on that one. That the the, the, the Okada and uh, the uh, well, I guess it was what it was a Cobb and Will Osprey and so, some of those New Japan matches sold out Madison Square Garden with some Ring of Honor guys on the show. I look at that one too. <laughs> you at the Garden? I at the Garden. You've been to Madison Square? You bastard! I've never been to Madison Square. I, Garden. I saw I saw Jay White versus Okada at the Garden that year. Oh my goodness! I I did get to see. I, I'm gonna have to. I gotta throw something out here. I'm getting steamrolled. <laughs> uh, I, I was. I saw Okada and Tanahashi at the uh, New Japan uh, G1 night one Dallas. of the G1 in Dallas. I got there. Nice. Nice. Getting left accredited, in the accredited fan. <laughs> gonna have to start bringing. I was gonna have to start bringing out my old WrestleMania appearances. There. Oh man, sorry. Man. I was like, oh, no. I've been there too. I was like, oh. I was like I'm on this show too. Oh, my God, I'm getting mowed. There's a reason uh, I do a New Japan podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, there is. Your bona, your bona fides are right there. So I bet I will. Fi- finally, the World Heavyweight Title, technically a separate title from the IWGP title. The world heavyweight title, June 12, 2022, of course, at Dominion, he defeated Okada, and then he lost it back to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 17. So as Jay White departs, he is a Grand Slam champion and a uh, guy that has (laughs) had some of the best matches in company history. In all that, we didn't even mention that masterful match against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. And quite frankly, Jay White might be the best big match 
wrestler out there and certainly in my opinion the best at putting over a baby face in a big match you think about his losses to okada his loss to ibushi some of his other high profile ones this one here to hikaleo was a great example of carrying a guy but when he's in with a guy that doesn't need to be carried he has had some of the best matches of the last several years in new japan wrestling because he is such a wonderful jerk heel there's no ambiguity with him. You just want to see the guy lose. And he doesn't very often, but when he gives it to you, it's a fantastic match and a fantastic moment. And he has absolutely helped Ibushi, Okada, Tanahashi late in his career. Of course, all those guys were over and would have gotten over anyway. But Jay brought them to peaks that not very many could. And uh, Jay, whatever happens with you, I would love to see you back in New Japan ring. I would love for them to figure out a way to get you back in. If not, best of luck to you in whatever you do. And uh, man, I'm, I'm going to enjoy seeing where it all goes. But uh, as Jay White, whatever big promotion he's in, he is a main event act on day one. Otherwise, you have missed the point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the thing. Like you said, if they send him to NXT, if they. Uh, put him in something silly with Dan Housen. You know, I'm just, I'm, I, I riot. That's all. That's, not, that's not the point of Jay White. Like, the yeah, Jay White not. is supposed to scare you and be like, day one, this guy is a threat to your livelihood. <laughs> yeah, just that, that de the deviousness, and he's not the largest, and he's not the most, he's not the strongest, he's not even the most brutal, but he's just the, he's the most, best. he is the most devious, and yeah. uh, when, when that is done correctly. Uh, you can overcome any type of baby face with that, can't you? So uh, that's the... he, he's not the best in all attributes, but he's the best overall attribute. <laughs> there you have it, right there. And I, and I personally feel, with all due respect to MJF, who's brilliant, uh, I bet he's the best heel in the business. So agreed. I'm not, so I'm not big yeah. on the MJF heel shtick, but that's just me. Mm, fair enough. All right. But... So, uh, what else we got? Anything? No, I think that's it. I mean, we, we, we talked about it. We're going to get oh. into uh, the. Battle in the Valley next week. We're going to go over those I'll bring results. pictures. I'll bring video. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be mine. I can use first whatever hand I want. accounts. First hand account. Not too many shows have first hand accounts. Some of them will, to be fair, but uh, yeah. th this one certainly will. And uh, we're going to bring you some insight that you're not going to get too many places. And uh, Jeremy's uh, very excited about this one. And uh, I'm excited for him. I'm glad you're I going. am walking over. I am walking from my house. <laughs> That's crazy. Point six yeah. miles. Don't do nice. It. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, don't. That'll give you a nice little radius if you want to stalk Jeremy. There you, there have you it. go. So uh, draw so the circle. Shows, and what's, you your, uh, what's your website again? Uh, RingsideReplay.com is my history website. At Stephen Conway88 is my Twitter. You can find me at Jer Feinstone on Twitter. Also, Parallel Worlds Nerd mm -hmm. Podcast. We're going to have an Ant Man review next week. Look for it on Fendi mm -hmm. Media. So you can uh, look for us next week wherever you get your podcast. You can look for us here on the YouTube channel for Fight Game Media. And we'll be back with more coverage of the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. For Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thanks for watching Speaking of Strong Style. We will see you all very soon. Say goodbye, Cole. Bye, Cole.